Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going into the series, uh, the first of many series rooted in the, the gospel of Mark, the book of Mark. And the series is called Introducing Jesus. And Jesus is a person who's been around for a long, long time. He's been discussed. He's been debated. There's been discussions about who he is and what he said, what he came to do, his mission. Not many people would go so far as to say he never existed. It's quite well documented that he was a historical figure who lived long, long ago, familiar to most of the world and had a tremendous, tremendous impact proven by the fact that we're still talking about him to this day. So who is this Jesus? Who is he? And and what did he do? He was an unmarried man, never owned a home, a tradesman, a carpenter like his dad. It seems as though his dad may have passed away while he was young. There's no more information after about the age of 12. We don't hear anything about Joseph anymore. And so he might have even been in a single parent home, but he had a great Great, great impact, studied by theologians, historians for decades. Everyone has an opinion about him. In fact, much of our world and much of what we do is oriented around him. Think about your calendar. Think about the morals that we have. Most of Western civilization, at the least, is built around what this man came to do and what he said. He had such a great impact that even the people in those days, the emperors and rulers who, who crucified him, who killed him, who came against his followers, all of those people, many of us can't really remember them. And in fact, we name our children after his followers, but we name our dogs after the emperors. People call their dogs Caesar, but they call their children John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So who is this Jesus? Why was he so important? Why did he have this massive ripple effect through all of history? That's the question we want to answer. That's why we want to go through this gospel, the gospel of Mark, this book of Mark, this this piece of writing written many years ago. Because Mark looks at this book and we want to see Jesus through Mark's lens. See, Mark was a travel companion of Peter. Peter the Apostle, the one who walked on water, but also the one who denied Jesus. A flawed man, a man who loved Jesus, denied him three times, but then he devoted his life to serving Jesus, to spreading the message. And Mark was a companion, went on road trips. They went and told the world about Jesus. He was part of the ministry team and took up this task to write this gospel so that when Peter and and all of the disciples, the eyewitnesses started to eventually die out, they thought, we need to record what they saw. We need to know about this man, Jesus, who we've devoted our lives to worshiping, to following. And so he writes this gospel. And a gospel is really a mixture of several things. Okay, we understand that the gospel is the good news about Jesus, but it's also a style of writing, which is why we have the four gospels. They're not just called that because they talk about Jesus. It's a style of writing. It's a mixture of biography. It's a mixture of history. And it's also a mixture of storytelling, campfire, narrative, But there's also purpose. It's kind of like a detective board. I don't know if you've watched Sherlock or any of these sort of gone um, in 60 seconds or these sort of um, 
detective stories where they get this big board up and there's string everywhere. And depending on how crazy the detective is, there might even be string across the room. And they're trying to connect all the dots. They're trying to make sense of all the stories, of all the facts, of all of the news clippings. That's what Mark was like. He was a detective. He was the Sherlock Holmes of the gospel. He wanted to connect the dots to put together the puzzle. But he does so with a purpose. You see, every writer in the scriptures, in the Bible, has a purpose, has an intention. And Mark's no different. He takes the stories that he's heard and he puts them together in a way to show us something. Not to, not to confuse us. He wants to help us to see the puzzle rightly. To see the dots clearly. And so he puts this thing together. And he, he actually sort of puts it together almost like a, like a drama. It's like going to the theater. And he puts it together with three acts. All about how Jesus ministered in, ministered in Galilee goes to Jerusalem and, and all the works that he did. And there's act one, act two, and act three. And this year, believe it or not, we're going to just get to act one. So strap yourselves in. We're going to see the first bit. But we start by looking at Jesus. And our goal is to see Jesus through the lens of Mark. And Mark's goal, he says in the very first verse, is to show us who Jesus is. Mark 1 verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's introduction to his book begins with a simple heading, the simple one-liner. He says, this is a gospel. It's good news. We are so used to hearing bad news. But Mark comes and says, there is some good news on its way. And we'll look at that a bit more just now. But he says, this is good news is about someone. It's about a man from Nazareth. A man who his readers would have known about. This man, Jesus Christ. He is the focus of the news and he is the one who makes it good. But there's something particular about this man. Not just a teacher, not just any old rabbi. There's a reason his, his impact would ripple through history. is because this man was the son of God. We've just come through Christmas. We've looked at that a bit already. But it's something we should not get too familiar with. Or at least if we do, we should still see the wonder of it as we looked over the Christmas period. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a unique man, a unique individual. And so Mark moves on and he's got this introduction. And the interesting thing is, although this whole book is about Jesus, Jesus actually doesn't show up yet. He starts with, a, with an introduction. He rolls out the red carpet and he starts with these words, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark launches into his, the section. He launches into it by looking back at the Old Testament. He starts with the words, as it is written. This is to show us something very important. Everything coming. Everything that Jesus would do, everything that Jesus would accomplish is all a fulfillment of something God had predicted long ago, prophesied by the prophets he would send. This is to show us that God's plan revealed in the Old Testament is about to unravel. It's about to go down. Things are going to happen. 
And this quote is actually a connection of a few things. Passage in Malachi, but the key passage and the major prophet he uses is, is Isaiah. And it's in Isaiah 40 that we get this quote. And I've picked out a few of the verses. In verse 3 it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This was written thousands of years before Mark. Thousands of years before Jesus or this messenger he's alluding to comes onto the scene. And Mark's saying this verse in Isaiah from thousands of years ago is coming to fulfillment now. Get ready. Strap in. Verse 9, it says, Go up, gone up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, says, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Mark wants us to see that the messenger that is being referred to in Isaiah from thousands of years ago is the one who was coming to prepare the way for Jesus, for the Messiah, for the promised one. And that messenger is about to rock up. You see, the, the Jewish people at the time had what we call a messianic expectation, right? A messianic. In other words, they anticipated God would send someone to deliver them, to rescue them, to free them, to come and be king over the people. See, we know that it is Jesus Christ, but Christ is just the Greek of Messiah. It means anointed one. It means the one anointed by God. This person who was coming was this promised savior, rescuer, king. But before the king came, the herald would come. The one would come to prepare the way. He would say, good news is coming Good news is coming soon. It's kind of like a, like a good movie trailer, right? That doesn't spoil the ending, but that gives you just enough bits to see what's going on. And you watch this and you're like, I really want to know what's going to happen. So I need to see the full feature. John is like a good movie trailer. He comes onto this, he comes, this messenger would come and tell us that the story is coming and he, and he wants to get our attention. He wants to point to the main feature. He wants to prepare us for an arrival because the good news is a person and he's coming soon so get ready and so Mark reveals this messenger as John the Baptist and we read on in verse 4 John appeared John appeared baptizing in the wilderness notice the link to the prophecy and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. How amazing is that? I mean, that just sounds like revival. All of the city, all of the country, they're all, all the people in the region are going out into the wilderness where John is, this messenger, this prophet who's come to prepare the way for the Lord, who's preaching a baptism, which is an outward expression of an inward change. Inwardly, they're confessing their sins, sharing their struggles, and then they're being baptized as a sign of their forgiveness, being baptized in the wilderness by this messenger, by this man, John preparing them for someone who was coming, preparing them for the coming of Jesus. Amazing to think about how many people were going out and being baptized by John. And then we get probably one of the strangest verses in the Bible, a description of John's attire. 
Because now John was clothed with, clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. It's a bit of an odd thing for the messenger of the king to be wearing. But there's actually a purpose to this dress code. There's a purpose to why he's doing this. This is actually to link him to the prophet Elijah. You see, the prophet Elijah was a powerful prophet. And in fact, it's recorded in the Old Testament that he didn't die, that God came and took him up to be with him, that he was, he was spared death. And when they describe Elijah, they describe him as a man clothed with camel's hair, wearing a leather belt. See, this is to connect John the Baptist as the fulfillment of Elijah, because in Malachi 4 verse 5, five God says, behold, I will send to you the prophet Elijah. There was an expectation that Elijah would come to announce the coming of the promised king. And Mark's saying, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the fulfillment of the expectation that Elijah would come to prepare people for Jesus. John is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the one who would cry out in the wilderness, good news coming soon. Prepare yourselves. Be ready. Be baptized. Repent of your sins. Confess them to one another. Because the Messiah is coming. And he goes on. And we see what he starts to preach out in the wilderness. He preaches saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John reveals to us three things, three things about this coming one, the one who the rest of the gospel is all centered on, Jesus. He reveals that Jesus is mighty, great, powerful, glorious, mightier than I. You see, they looked at the ministry of John, this man who was out in the desert, lowered himself, a humble man, and yet powerful authority. All of cities were coming out into the wilderness just to be baptized by this man, to hear his message, to hear what he had to say. And yet John says, ah, but there's one coming and he's mightier than I. He is greater than I. He has more authority than I will have. He's far more powerful than me because he's not just a man. He is the son of God. He would supersede John in every single way, which is why John would say when the disciples moaned, John's disciples moan in John 3, they say, why Jesus' disciples there, he's doing better than you. Jesus, Jesus' ministry is doing better than you. John, aren't you upset? And John knew that his purpose was actually to point to Jesus the whole time. And so he turns to them and says, he must increase. I must decrease. He's mightier than I. He is greater. See, Jesus, Jesus is the perfect marriage of mercy and might. He is the lion. He is the lamb. In that prophecy in Isaiah, it actually prophesies that this coming king would be like a shepherd. He would be tender, gentle with his flock, gathering his people, and yet he'd be mighty powerful in battle and strong. The one coming after John, the one John is preparing us for is mighty and powerful. Jesus is the perfect marriage of might and mercy. The second thing John says is he says this, he says, he is not worthy enough to untie his shoelaces. 
Right? He's not even worthy enough to untie his shoelaces, to untie the strap of his sandals. You see, back in those days, this was one of the most lowly tasks you could do. Some servants weren't even expected to do this. Even if you were a slave back in that day, you might have been spared unstrapping the sandal of your master because it was considered such a lowly task, something that, that you shouldn't have to do because it's feet. And John, I mean, he completely flips this around. He says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Something that slaves are sometimes spared from doing because it's considered so trivial and, and, and lowly. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. It's like the queen or the president coming and saying, I'm not worthy to meet this individual. Right? If, you, if you were standing with a, with a big person, a, a large person, a, a, a warrior, and that warrior started to shake when they heard the name of another warrior, started to, to feel trepidation, started to be scared. What would you think about the person coming? I mean, you haven't seen this person that's coming. You haven't seen them. You just know that someone's coming and the person who's anticipating them is scared. But because you really respect this person, you're going, wow, that person must be really big. That person must be really powerful. That person must be really noble, worthy. See, John is actually called by Jesus the greatest man born of a woman. He's the greatest man that ever lived, according to Jesus. And he says of himself, I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces. The one who's coming, the king, Jesus, so holy, so great. I'm not worthy to even touch his sandals. Something's being communicated to us here about Jesus before Jesus is even rocked up. If you see a limousine pull up, you already know something about a person before you've seen them. What John is saying, what John is saying here is communicating something about Jesus before he's even rocked up. And the third thing, thing that John says about Jesus is this. He says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus would come and he would accomplish his work and those who would believe in him would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is two things for us. It's a, it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and a lot of the gospel is that. It's trying to root our confidence in the fact that what God promised long ago because he is faithful is being fulfilled in Jesus and those around him. We can have confidence in the scriptures, confidence in the gospel, confidence in who Jesus is, because it's all rooted in promises that were made thousands of years beforehand. Promises that the one would come, and in those days the Spirit would be poured out. Young men would dream dreams, old men would have visions, and God's presence would be with his people. Not in a tent, not in a building or a temple, but now would be with his people. The Holy Spirit would be poured out on us and we would be immersed if we would follow Jesus. God pours out his spirit on those who believe and follow Jesus. If you struggle to believe that God loves you, you need to be filled with the spirit. It says in Romans 5 that God through his Holy Spirit has poured out his love into our hearts. 
poured out his love into our hearts. The spirit is like the channel. And God's love comes into our hearts, fills us up, gives us hope. If you struggle to know that God loves you, you need to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just to clarify, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is something we all receive when we become Christians. But it's a process that we continually go through, which is why Paul says, as we saw last year in Ephesians, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive him when we come to Jesus and we go on being filled, immersed, baptized with him to receive power and an awareness of God's love. And so we're at the start of a journey. We're at the start of a journey. We're just beginning. Jesus hasn't got out the car yet. He's just pulled into the parking lot. But someone's got out and said, he's on his way. He's here. Get ready. Everybody, make preparations. Jesus is coming. He was expected with anticipation back then, and we should expect him now to be at work, to be constantly speaking. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus and pointed him to him, to Jesus, as the mighty one, the one whose sandal he couldn't untie, the one who would baptize with the Spirit. And we today can mimic John the Baptist. We can say to those around us, Jesus has come, and he's coming again. Be prepared. Jesus has come, and he's coming again. Be prepared. And we point like a son, like a herald, like a messenger. And we live humbly with that same attitude of John saying, He, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. My whole purpose is to prepare people, to prepare myself, and to point to Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.